When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Live from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. When you have such a slim majority, it means that there's going to be compromises. One way to draw more people into the workforce and to draw them in productively is to pay them a higher wage. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. Inflation is running much higher than the Fed projected. There is a monitoring system that many big corporations are really contemplating as to sort of how do we keep the employees that are inside healthy. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. And we enter a new week with no deal yet on infrastructure. Even after a working weekend and the threat of a missed August recess, we keep hearing they're close, even though an overture from the Democrats failed last night. We will have the latest for you this hour as we tick through the sticking points with Congressman John Garamendi, Democrat from California, who serves on the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee, spent years working on water issues. We'll also ask him about the impact of the wildfires in Northern California on agriculture and business. We'll talk as well with Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Sheehan-Zeno and Rick Davis. And thank you for being with us today on Bloomberg Sound On. We keep hearing they're close to a deal. Infrastructure? That according to negotiators themselves, as the sticking points remain largely unchanged from Friday. Funding for transit, water resources among them. But we still do not have a funding plan to improve highways, to be clear. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki today in the briefing. We always know that there are is some wrangling uh, at the end of a process. Um, I would say tell you also that White House staff and negotiators worked through the weekend, as I think many of you know. The president worked the phones all weekend and is continuing to. Uh, we're encouraged as we reach the final issues uh, that need to be worked out and are confident about the path forward. And the process itself remains an issue. You heard Republican Congressman Kevin Brady say on this program Friday that GOP members in the House will not vote for a bill that either hikes taxes or is tied to the Democrats' reconciliation bill, which Senator Rob Portman, who's of course leading negotiations for his party, did not sound terribly worried about when he was asked on ABC this week. I was very glad to see the president clarify his remarks because it was inconsistent with everything that we had been told all along the way. We we're all blindsided by the comments the previous uh, day, which were that somehow these two bills were connected. I'm glad they've now been delinked, and it's very clear that we can move forward with a bipartisan bill that's broadly popular, not just among members of Congress, but the American people. Even as Speaker Nancy Pelosi stands by plans to wait for both to emerge from the Senate before acting in the House. We can tell you, breaking just a short time ago, Senator John Tester, Democrat from Montana, one of the negotiators, says a deal will not be announced tomorrow. So we're already on a Wednesday. 
And for latest now, we're joined by Bloomberg government's Jack Fitzpatrick, who's been following every turn here. Welcome back, Jack. Are things slowing down or are we on the verge of a new deal being announced the middle of this week? Well, things have slowed down, uh, slowed down, but, you know, I think this goes to show how herky-jerky and back-and-forth things can go. Almost immediately after Senator Tester uh, said to some reporters, it's probably not going to happen tomorrow, he said, you know what, I'm actually pretty bullish. It potentially could happen tomorrow. <laughs> so we, we've got the real back-and-forth going. It's difficult to guess exactly when they could uh, absolutely wrap this up. But as, as you mentioned earlier, there are only so many issues and it's things they've been talking about. I think there's some frustration on the Republican side that the, they felt the White House, when they sent this latest offer, seemed to uh, sort of relitigate things that they thought were closed issues. But I haven't heard of anything that's a, a real major sticking point. It's the divide between highway and transit, some water pipes issues, some things about uh, determining the prevailing wages for contractors, but there's yes. no huge blow up on anything in particular. So they're still close, I think. Why the so-called global offer uh, from the White House last night just to say that we did what we could? Well, I mean, at some point you have to have a global offer and say, OK, here's the absolute final version. Mm -hmm. The question is, how much does that come from Senate Democrats? How much does the White House involve itself? And if there is some frustration, if there was a step taken backwards, uh, it seems there was a little frustration maybe with the White House uh, becoming more involved. It, it's a little difficult to tell. Uh, but, you know, it, mostly this has been a back and forth between senators with some involvement from the White House. Yeah. Nothing really came out of left field. Uh, but eventually, yeah, they're going to have to do that tough final round of negotiation and say, OK, this is the absolute last thing. Uh, and it does sound like we could potentially be within a, a day or two of that, but they can always stretch it out like they have a history of doing. Yes, indeed. And you know we're going to want to talk when that happens. Bloomberg government's Jack Fitzpatrick doing a great job for us on Capitol Hill. And we bring in a lawmaker now who is no stranger to the conversation about infrastructure. Congressman John Garamendi, Democrat from California, serves on the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee and has spent years working to improve water availability to California's farmers and cities. Welcome back, Congressman, to Bloomberg Sound On. It's good to have you. I'm delighted to be with you. Are you worried about this deal falling apart this week, or are we moving closer to something real? I think there's a very real problem here. I think that we have fires burning in the West. I think we have the hottest weather ever. I think we have super storms coming and going. And I don't see anything in the Senate bill about how we're going to use this, how we're going to build infrastructure for the reality of tomorrow and the years beyond. Uh, so it, it does not like, sound like you're uh, ready for I a could, deal. Well, we put something out of the House of Representatives, which we call the Invest Act, which is a piece of legislation that aggressively attacked the problems that this country has with infrastructure. Uh, highways that uh, that are designed for yesterday, the, the move to uh, electrification, the grid systems, um, making sure that we're addressing uh, uh, inequities that have been created over the years by uh, the infrastructure, freeways down through the middle of a, of a city dividing uh, rich from poor. Uh, all of those things were addressed. Uh, and including the electrical systems that we're absolutely going to have to have for the future, the grids, the green energy systems, the uh, electrification of 
of highways, major money going into transit so that people don't have to rely upon uh, cars to get through their cities, all of those things. Mm-hmm. We have, I have no idea, and as near as we can tell from the information that's been forthcoming, those are not there. It looks as though the Senate's putting together yesterday's infrastructure bill, and that's a problem. You sound a lot less optimistic than when we spoke with you a couple of weeks ago, Congressman. Has something changed, or were you hoping that these items would be inserted into that bipartisan framework? Well, the House has done its work. The House put together a very robust, sufficient money, not more than needed, but sufficient money to, uh, to build a infrastructure, physical infrastructure, for tomorrow major effort to deal with transit and trains uh, and uh, public transportation, uh, money for, as I said before, uh, and, and, and policy. Uh, we don't know. Uh, well, we have some indication that the policies that were in the House bill are being ignored in the Senate. And I guess what I'm doing is saying, wait a minute, folks, there's two houses here. Yeah. And you're going to have to deal with the reality of the House of Representatives having spoken to this issue three months ago and the Senate doing what the Senate normally does, which is to delay, delay, delay. And ultimately, if the Democrats surely should have learned from the past history, when the Senate starts doing this delay, it basically means that the programs that we work so hard for uh, are going to be ignored. We're talking with Congressman John Garamendi, a Democrat from California. I have to admit, Congressman, I wanted to ask you about all the sticking points we've been hearing about. Water resources, the percentage uh, that would be directed to transit funding, maybe the process. This is not necessarily the tone or conversation that I expected. And I'll add to that, having heard from Congressman Kevin Brady, your colleague from Texas, Republican ranking member on Ways and Means, told us on Friday that Republicans in the House have major concerns about the way this would be paid for and about the reconciliation process. Even if the Senate comes up with a deal, Congressman, it sounds like there could be major problems in the House. Oh, absolutely. There clearly could be major problems in the House. Keep in mind, Kevin Brady rammed through the 2017 tax cut that took nearly $2 trillion out of the Treasury without one hearing. Not one hearing, period. So, uh, you know, Kevin Brady doesn't want anything done to his tax bill. Well, certainly something should be done to his tax bill. But leave that aside for a moment. The reality is here that if we're going to spend a trillion dollars on infrastructure, that infrastructure has to be designed for tomorrow, not for the 1950s. And so, yes, the percentage for transit is very, very important. Water systems, we absolutely have to build water systems for the futures, and those are not going to be dams on rivers. Those are going to be off-stream storage. That's going to be uh, recycling, uh, desalinization, things of that sort, and a whole lot of conservation. So my concern is very simple. Everything I've heard about about the Senate bill, it is yesterday's infrastructure. It doesn't meet the needs of a rapidly changing world. So two Uh, questions to that end, Congressman. Yesterday's infrastructure, of course, the roads and bridges, some of which you need fixed in California, were in fact designed in the 1950s. So that's that's obviously yesterday. But can't you get some of what you're talking about into the reconciliation bill? 
If that gets you the hard infrastructure up front, can you get some of these issues through reconciliation? Certainly with regard to money, yes. Uh, with regard to uh, transit uh, proportion, uh, yes. Uh, in reconciliation, you can move money around, and you can also do tax policy in reconciliation. Uh, the problem is with regard to the policy issues. Yeah. And there are fundamental policy issues that hopefully the Senate will address. We have very little information about what that would be. I've already spoken to some of the policy issues that we think are important. Well, it sounds like we have some major question marks here. Congressman John Garamendi of California, thank you for bringing them to us. Welcome to Bloomberg Sound On. For Monday, I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. We had to crinkle up the script there a little bit. You never know what you're going to get sometimes in live radio, and that is why we are here. Our conversation that you just heard with Congressman Garamendi is one that kind of changed the tone of this whole thing, and we want to bring in Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Sheehan-Zano and Rick Davis. Welcome to Monday, guys. You were listening to that conversation with a Democrat from California who has been supportive for the most part uh, of this whole concept and sounded a lot more like Kevin Brady, I hate to compare them, but a Republican in the House who is saying, whoa, whoa, put the brakes on in the Senate. This is another legislative body here, and we have our own ideas about things. Rick, as a Republican, uh, what were you hearing in that conversation, and how much of a concern should it be for the White House? Well, John, uh, or John Garamondi, the congressman you were talking to, yeah. uh, obviously had a bone to pick with the Senate and also with his only Republican uh, counterparties this is true. <laughs> on the Ways and Means Committee. So I, I think we got him in a mood. But uh, he's right. I mean, they passed the Invest Act. It's a $760 billion uh, bill uh, to focus on infrastructure. And it focuses a lot on the sort of E um, uh, activity around cars and trucks and, and But when was that supposed to be a blueprint for this bipartisan deal? Or did, did I miss Well, that? the House usually does their work and the Senate sure. does their work. And that's why they have a conference committee that gets together at the end and sort of reconciles everything. Uh -huh. And so... You know, I mean, I, obviously, they, the Senate's getting a lot of attention. They're the ones writing the infrastructure bill. They're the ones who are going to get the attention of the president. And so there's always been uh, this kind of uh, maybe jealousy is too strong a word, but uh, the actions in the Senate right now and the House, as he pointed out, has done their work. We've already come up with this. Mm -hmm. But it was a straight line party vote, right? If the Democrats had majorities in the Senate that they could rely upon, they'd do the same thing, but they don't. So they're forced to have to deal with their Republican counterparts. So Jeannie, uh, what was it like to listen to that? Was it a change of course? And my gosh, what would the White House think hearing that conversation? I, I thought it was an absolutely stunning interview because, you know, the thing that stood out to me was, was Representative Garamendi describing this as yesterday's infrastructure bill. Yeah. And in his defense, his district is, in, you know, in, you know, in flames, you know, there's superstorms, not just, you know, in Europe, but in parts of Asia and around the world. Um, you know, there is, a, you know, he is really, I think, reflecting something we heard Nancy Pelosi say over the weekend on one of the Sunday shows about the lack of focus on things like the environment and the real frustration. And I think this is 
why we have to be careful careful when we talk publicly about waiting for this bipartisan infrastructure deal. This is just a written bill. It is we are not close to an agreement. I mean, I think, you know, the White House will probably celebrate once this thing comes out. And I think we'll see it tomorrow, Wednesday. But that you doesn't do. even get us halfway where we need to be. And Garamendi is reflecting that in his remarks, as did Brady in your interview on Friday, as did Nancy Pelosi and others over the weekend. So we have a long way to go here. And this, I think, is why Nancy Pelosi is saying, I don't have the political will on the, my side to move this hard infrastructure bill forward without seeing the reconciliation. And I'm not sure we're going to see both. Wow. This is definitely a different uh, conversation than I expected today, Rick. People over the weekend are talking about 90 percent there, just a couple of things to iron out. So I guess a couple of questions. One, was that global offer uh, from the White House uh, an unwise move? Is that the kind of thing that's getting under the skin of guys like uh, the congressman, uh, John Garamendi? Or is this is there more to it than that? It's the playing it out in the news cycle. It's watching the Sunday shows. People are paying too much attention to the Senate. What about us over here in the House? Yeah, I think they were starting to believe their own press. I mean, Republicans mm -hmm. were saying nice things about White House officials and their cooperation on this deal. Huh. And I and I think they thought, oh, now's our chance to take credit. Um, you know, in Washington, you either try to make an issue so big that everybody can agree about it, and I think that was their strategy, or so small that there's really not much to it. I think the, the, the negotiators in the Senate were going for the small role, right? They were trying to get everybody to think small, right? Oh, there's just a slight modification here and there. That's it's right. not going to affect much. The White House comes in with this big overarching thing, and I think it just sort of caught everybody by surprise. No question, it it, it sort of took a, a little bit of wind out of the sails of the negotiators. But look, I mean, uh, this is this is on track to happen. It, there's going to have to be something bigger than uh, how you pay for uh, metro stations around the country and you know how you divvy up water funds. These are mm -hmm. these are minor things that can be negotiated out. All the hard stuff on how you pay for this and. And what is actually the money going to go for is pretty much solved. So I agree with Jeannie. I think, you know, you're probably going to get a, a broad agreement uh, between now and, and the weekend, which is the backstop, right? You've got recess coming. And everybody wants to go home. So uh, I think that's the pressure that the negotiators are working under, and they'll get something. Now, the detail will come in September and October, you know, and hopefully you have a bill, you know, by then and, and you can put it into the budget. How about that August recess, Jeannie? It has a way of getting things done, boy. The, the lawmakers may fly around a lot, may talk a lot, but they want to be with their families. They want to go home. They have tickets booked. Does that get it done the next week? I think that is, you know, a really compelling, you know, reason for them mm -hmm. to move forward on this. Um, we know Chuck Schumer said today they may have to stay in session. If they don't, that's going to light a fire. But let's not forget, they also need to get home to take the pulse of their districts right. as well. Town they halls. need to know town halls. And it's going to be curious. I'm so anxious to see how people respond. We heard President Trump, former President Trump, over the weekend mm -hmm. trying to convince Republicans to back away from this thing. So these senators and representatives are going to hear a lot from their districts. And that could either boost chances of this thing happening. I, I agree with Rick in the fall or it can diminish them. Look at what happened with the Affordable Care Act. So that pressure is important. Just remember the town halls that occurred this summer. We were debating Obamacare, the ACA. We could get a taste of that coming up. And thank you for spending part of it with us on Bloomberg Radio. Welcome to Sound On. No one knew what transitory meant anyway, right? So why not just speak English as we read on the terminal? White House shifts messaging on inflation 
as Republicans attack. We've certainly been hearing a lot about this as the Fed, then repeated by President Biden and others in the administration, talk about transitory inflation resolving itself toward the end of the year, while Republicans say, you know what, things are expensive. You're paying too much for stuff, and it's a liability. And so expect more plain language, we read. And we talk about it now, among other issues, with Mark Goldwine, Senior Policy Director at the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget. Mark, welcome. Is the White House on the right track by seeking a new vocabulary here? Well, I don't think vocabulary really changes the facts on the ground, which is that uh, we're currently experiencing pretty high inflation. The question is, how long is it going to persist? Yeah. Well, and of course, what did transitory mean to begin with? Does that mean a duration of time? Does it mean a certain movement? Maybe we fall from 9 to 7%, for instance. Does it mean that we're done in October or a year from now? Uh, yeah, and I'm not even sure they know what they mean. Some people are saying transitory means the prices go up and they're going to come back down, like with used cars. And there's definitely some of that. Mm-hmm. For others, transitory means the prices go up and then they stay there and they're not going to keep going up at the same rate. Uh, for sure, prices are not going to go up at the rate they have been recently. If they do, we have a very, very big problem. Um, I think the bigger question is, how much is the price increase going to slow down? And are we going to get back to sort of the old 2% a year? Um, or are we looking at a new normal where prices are growing faster or in a more volatile way? So if you're in the administration and you're trying to message this, how do you have that conversation with people who don't know what the heck the Fed is or what transitory refers to, what the beige book is and so on, what the overnight lending rate is? This is like real jargon for a lot of people. Republicans seem to be doing a better job speaking in sort of kitchen table language. Well, I, I think right now it's easier to just look at the sticker at the sticker numbers, but it's really important that sort of economists actually look beyond that, and the White House economists look beyond that because at some point the sticker numbers might say the opposite thing. It doesn't tell us what's actually happening with underlying inflation. I, I do think I think the White House is is right at this point to focus on the fact that it is a few sectors that are really driving up this inflation. I think that's the right um, way to describe it. Um, but they also need a plan to make sure this inflation does stick to a few sectors and doesn't spill out throughout the entire economy. Does that plan include the Fed, or, or you mean a, a, another political policy that would be coming from the executive? Um, well, I, I think a little bit of both. I think the, the Federal Reserve is in a tough position because um, they promised, basically, that they weren't going to raise interest rates until 2023. Um, and so I, I think we got to be careful with our fiscal policy, um, not passing huge new unpaid for spending increases or tax cuts um, to exacerbate the inflation and sending the right signals um, that we're not going to keep pumping money into the economy when it no longer needs more cash. We're talking with Mark Goldwine, Senior Policy Director at the Committee for a Responsible Federal budget. Can I ask you about the budget for just a moment? Because it's funny how often we talk about reconciliation and everybody's an expert here. But the fact of the matter is it's not foregone. You can't do that without a budget, Uh, a multi-step process that's that's really just now beginning. Uh, Lawmakers need to figure out how to keep the government running and, and how to form a budget before we can ever get to the infrastructure spending. So where does Nancy Pelosi begin here? That's exactly right. Well, the way that it's supposed to work is the president um, submits his budget and then Congress writes their own budget based on what they actually intend to do. And then they work to enact it. Um, The way it seems like it's more likely to work this time is Congress is going to agree to more of a fake budget. They're not going to worry about 
the top line numbers. They're just going to worry about what's called these reconciliation instructions, which is basically rules to committees to, to let them write legislation that can then skip the 60 vote filibuster. Um, and so even that is going to be hard to get 50 Democrats in the Senate and a majority in the House behind. Um, but maybe it's going to be easier than doing the hard work of actually having a real budget. But in terms of the process, you're basically creating a document that has a lot of blanks, right? We're going to say, put a headline on this without much under it. And then reconciliation would would effectively build those out, fill in those blanks and give Democrats the opportunity to do this all on their own. That That's right. So, for example, the budget might say we expect the finance committee to reduce deficits by one trillion dollars. And then the finance committee is going to have to decide which tax increases to enact which new programs to, to, to put forward. The budget resolution doesn't tell them any of that. Then there's paying for the government. Looks like we're going to have a, a minibus or maybe a series of them. Uh, you don't expect a government shutdown or at least the threat of one as a political tool going into the fall? I, I never expect a government shutdown. And, um, you know, one out of every 10 times I'm wrong. So... <laughs> Um, I expect that they're going to be able to fully fund the government. I don't expect it to be a problem, but you never know. Um, anything can happen. And we've had a number of shutdowns over the last the last decade, and they're, they're really disruptive. Uh, based on what you're hearing before you leave us, Mark, uh, whispers even inside the Beltway, do you expect a bipartisan infrastructure agreement to come out of the Senate this week? I don't know, out of the Senate. I, I think more likely than not, we get an agreement. Um, but maybe I'm at 60-40 or 65-35. Where were you on Friday? On Friday, it was probably 80-20. What? So, so what happened over the weekend? Did the White House go too far with that global offer last night? That's what, you know, I'm reading the same things in the news as you are, so I, I, I couldn't tell you exactly, but it seems like they were about to to, to reach a deal, and uh, they reopened a few, mm-hmm. a few items they thought they had settled on, and, and now it seems like one step forward, six steps backward. Mark Goldwine, Senior Policy Director at the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget, echoing a lot of what we have heard this hour. By the way, remember what he told us about reconciliation. Be smart about this. People are talking about it like it's foregone, and there's a lot of work left to be done. The Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest is Triple Launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. 
So did you wear a mask when you went out today? Maybe to the store, maybe to the office? I know I'm seeing more of them around D.C. With additional reports now today that the White House is considering changing mask guidance as the Delta variant spreads. Press Secretary Jen Psaki was asked about it and was deliberate, as always, to point to the CDC. There, of course, is an active discussion about a range of steps that can be taken, as there has been from the first day of this administration. Certainly, uh, the surge in cases among unvaccinated because of the Delta variant uh, prompts uh, you know, even more discussion about what actions can be taken. But we are going to, uh, the, the CDC looks at data. They look at data across the country uh, in a range of regions across the country. And if they make an assessment, we will of course be here to follow their guidance. With local jurisdictions moving on vaccines, as I read, on the terminal, New York City to require vaccines or weekly testing for city workers. Mayor de Blasio talking about that earlier today. Each private sector employer needs to do what they believe is right, but I would strongly urge a vaccination mandate whenever possible or as close to it as possible. That goes, by the way, New York City, teachers and police officers included here and California also moving on its own today with vaccines. Important stuff that, of course, the White House is watching very closely. And we're joined by Rick and Jeannie once again, our political panel, Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Sheehan Zeno and Rick Davis. We got into this a little bit, Jeannie, but the pressure is clearly still on the White House here. The worry, though, is that we are going to remove a reward for getting a vaccine, right? If you require people to continue wearing masks, then why get the shot? There is concern about that, and that was one of the reasons when they initially lifted the mask mandate, as we all recall, was to sort of reward, if you will, people who went out and got the vaccination. But of course, now they were under pressure as these numbers mount. And I think it's very important what you were just talking about, what Bill de Blasio in New York City, what the state of California is doing. We're hearing that the Department of Veterans Affairs is the first federal agency to mandate some type of vaccination for employees. So I think we're going to see more and more of that out of the public and the private sector that may go a long way to helping sort of encourage people to get vaccinated or have to go through as we've done we know ourselves the weekly testing or the daily testing as it will um so i think there's going to be some of that there but if these numbers don't turn around i do think the white house may be in a position of making a really difficult decision and let's not forget you have governors in certain red states florida in particular texas and others who are saying they will not put mask mandates into place Why not just rip off the Band-Aid here, uh, Rick? Does everyone seem to think this is going to happen anyway? Jen Psaki points to the CDC as if it's some completely different organization. They're talking about this every day, and they're looking at the same data we are. Yeah, and talk about confusing, right? Can the government just communicate with the American public through one voice? I mean, like now for us to have to navigate what all these different warnings mean, how they apply to my locality, and what if I get on an airplane and go somewhere else? How's it going to apply to me there? Uh, I, I think that this administration is losing sight of the original concept they devoted so much time, money, and energy into, and that was get everybody vaccinated, right? I mean, like, this is what will cure the issues with masks, with schools, with businesses reopening, is to be able to continue to drive people to vaccination. And my understanding from latest reports is there's been a tick up. So some of that has started to work. But now to distract everybody with these mask issues, 
that are really going to be local uh, decisions anyway, uh, I think are just going to add confusion to what's already been a, a bewildering pandemic. We have seen some increase in the vaccination rate, a slight increase since the latest campaign uh, began. The, the New York City deadline, by the way, is September 13. That coincides with the start of public school, which is important here as we look forward uh, to potentially some big changes taking hold in September. In California, officials there, by the way, announcing that state employees and all health care workers will be required to either prove they have a vaccination or be tested weekly here. Uh, boy, I'll tell you, Jeannie Shee and Zeno, this is really concerning when we factor in the economic recovery and the politics around all of this as its own issue. Jen Psaki was asked about this by the reporter at Fox News following comments from Dr. Fauci that we're moving in the wrong direction. Dr. Fauci says we're going in the wrong direction. Whose fault is that? Well, I would say first what he was referring to is the fact that because there is still a large population of people in this country who are unvaccinated and we have the most transmissible variant that we've seen since the beginning of the pandemic, uh, that more people are getting sick with COVID. And that's not those numbers are not moving in the right direction. I think that's accurate and you can see it by data. But reporters, Jeannie, are still looking for blame. They are. And, you know, Dr. Fauci also talking over the weekend about booster shots for certain people who have already been vaccinated. To Rick's point, this gets very, very confusing. Um, and, you know, whether the White House likes it or not, they will bear the brunt of the blame if these numbers don't start to go in the opposite direction. And I think what has got to be particularly frustrating is that many of us thought that if these numbers went up, it would be in the fall as the weather starts to get cooler. To see this happening in the summer is very disheartening. One thing I would add is that we should also be pressing on the FDA for full approval of these vaccines. This emergency authorization sort of middle ground has given some people a sense that the government is not, you know, you haven't approved this fully yet. Why should I get vaccinated? And they're waiting for that. So those steps have got to take place. And the Biden administration has got to keep their eye on the ball. All these other things they want to do are going to fall by the wayside if these numbers continue to go up. I want to turn to something important that's going to happen tomorrow, because there was a lot of talk about it today on both ends of Pennsylvania Avenue, and that is the House Select Committee investigating January 6th. I ask you this because they have the first hearing scheduled for tomorrow. We're going to hear from uh, from a couple of police officers, two Capitol Police, two uh, district police officers who were there. And you can just imagine the stories, the horrible video and the sounds that will be replayed. The back and forth today, though, between the Republican leader in the House and the White House uh, was really something. Add Liz Cheney and boy, you've got quite a story here as Kevin McCarthy the Republican leader in the U.S. House at the White House today for an event. Some reporters got to him in the Rose Garden following news over the weekend that Republican Congressman Adam Kinzinger was being added by Nancy Pelosi to this panel. And Kevin McCarthy was asked about the politics around this and the names being added to that body. Really? You could, you could get Who was three. That? Who was that, Adam and Liz? Well, aren't they kind of like Pelosi Republicans? He says, aren't they kind of Pelosi Republicans? Referring to... Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney and reporters got to Congresswoman Cheney today in the halls of Congress. She didn't hold back. Uh, we're about this very serious business here. We have uh, important work to do. Uh, and I think that's pretty childish. She said that McCarthy's comments were childish. Rick Davis 
We're dealing with some really tough stuff here. The politics surrounding it are not making it easier, but Nancy Pelosi still holds the cards here, right? Yeah, Nancy Pelosi holds the cards. As you point out, there's going to be hearings, and it's going to be public. And I think that there's a lot of effort to try and correct misinformation campaigns that are going on about the fact that, oh, my gosh, this wasn't anything but a bunch of, you know, uh, tourists coming to the Capitol. They were invited in by the police. So this is going to try and trek, change that record, put it back to where it was, you know, the day after. And and look, I mean, you have to look at these opportunities, especially for people like Liz Cheney and Adam Kinziger, is to which side of history do you want to be on when all of this is done? This is not going to be some short-term payoff. It's going to be a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not going to get any credit for this back home. But at the end of the day, will they be on the right side of history? And that's why they've made decisions to participate in this commission. This isn't exactly a story for this program, Jeannie. The reason why I ask about January 6th is the vitriol and the divisions surrounding it. There are so many other things that we are debating right now that are we, we are supposedly negotiating with two parties uh, that can't even get this done here. If, if there's a big break, in, and there appears to be already, between Democrats and Republicans on simply investigating January 6th, what will that do to all the rest of Congress's ability to get anything done in the months ahead? You know, I, I think it's another added element of what we see as we look at the Congress today. Not only these two houses, not only these two parties, but factions within each of these parties. So you're almost looking at six different parts of Congress here as you talk about Liz Cheney and Adam Kissinger on the one side. Um, and, you know, McCarthy on the other. And you see a similar sort of not as dramatic these days between progressives and more moderates as they all look towards, uh, you know, 2022. And we're hearing today real concern amongst Democrats that the voting changes in voting laws at the state level in places like Georgia may have a real impact on their ability to hold the House and the Senate in 2022. Um, So you couple this all together and you add on to it, you know, really tough debates about infrastructure, voting rights, police reform. And, you know, it just becomes difficult to imagine that they could get much done. But I will say we had an attack on the Capitol on January 6th. It would be a dereliction of duty for anyone to impede an investigation of that in Congress. As Republicans do that, they are going to be on the wrong side of history, as Rick said. There is no question about that. And so this is something I think has to be done in as, you know, bipartisan a way as possible, which is difficult these days. We're out of time uh, almost here, Rick, but does the division around January 6th threaten to derail debate around other important policy issues? Uh, probably not. I mean, all of these things can be managed in their, their own vacuum. Uh, it's not going to add any uh, uh, positives, but it, it shouldn't keep too many things from happening uh, otherwise. Always great to spend time with Rick and Jeannie and with you. Thanks for making Bloomberg Sound On part of your day. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. 
The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com.